0: Hello and welcome to because High Hi-Viz. My name is Mitch Francis and I'm a lawyer in Cause's Project Practice Group. Today I'm joined by Senior Associate, David Hasty. Today's podcast looks at the highly anticipated outcome of the Lacrosse Appeal that was handed down by the Victorian Court of Appeal on Friday. This piece of litigation has been on the radar of participants in the construction industry for upwards of four years now. This ca- case is critically important to many in the construction industry as it sets a bar for how liability will be split between builders and various consultants who have contributed to or been involved with the installation of combustible cladding on buildings. Dave, I'm really interested to get your perspective on the Lacrosse appeal, but perhaps we should start by going back in time and considering the background to the original decision that was given by VCAT back in 2019.
1: Hi, Mitch, and thanks for that. As most would probably know, but I will still recap, uh, the dispute started following a fire in an apartment tower located in Melbourne in the Dockland, being the La Crosse, uh, high-rise resi building. A substantial fire spread across the facade, across 14 storeys of the building to, in, call it 12 minutes, from a single cigarette butt, and this was largely a consequence of the use of combustible cladding. Now, um, all of the 400 or so occupants were successfully evacuated from the building, however, there was um, quite extensive damage to the building. In total, the owners and the owner's corporation claimed to have incurred losses in excess of $12 To recover their losses, the owners brought a claim in VCAT Obviously, as we know, uh, VGAT has the exclusive jurisdiction in Victoria for domestic building disputes. Now, the owners brought this dispute against uh, the building professionals involved in the construction of Lacrosse. The building professionals included the builder, uh, who is Elie Simon, the building surveyor, gardener group, the architect and the fire engineer. So, collectively, these, these are the consultants to the builder. We can roughly divide the claims into two groups, these being the owners' claims against L.U. Simon and L.U. Simon's claims downstream against the consultants. Now, the owners were largely successful in their claims against L.U. Simon, with Justice Woodward in VCAT ordering the builder to compensate the owners for their loss. At the same time, Ellie Simon succeeded in its downstream claims against the consultants with Justice Woodward ordering the consultants to reimburse the builder in respect of 97% of the damages awarded to the owners. The practical impact of VCAT's findings was that although the builder was held liable to the owners, it was able to pass this liability on to the consultants. Now, Justice Woodward reached this outcome, having decided that the owner's claims against the builder were not apportionable because there was no negligence there on Ellie Simons's part, and that the builder's claims against the consultants were, in fact, apportionable. This decision meant that the consultants were required to reimburse the builder for the amount they were liable to the owner's. This aspect of the judge's decision was highly contentious and was the subject of most of the 25 grounds of appeal in the Victorian Court of Appeal. Now, the liability split was as follows. It was 33% to the building surveyor, 25% to the architect, 39% to the fire engineer, and 3% to the tenant who originally started the fire by not putting out his cigarette Uh, That 3%, that tab has been picked up by Elu Simon. Very interesting, David. So why do you think that the decision was appealed? It goes without saying that these consultants and their insurers were really put off by this outcome uh, and wanted to appeal the tribunal's finding in respect of the consultant's liability. The building surveyor and the fire engineer's fees on the project were, let's call it around $90,000 each. That their total liability each exceeded in excess of $2 million. To put this into context, that would mean that these consultants would need to complete work on more than 22 similar projects, and these are, this was a large-scale project, to cover their liability as was determined by VCAT. Now, as I flagged uh, earlier, there were 25 separate grounds of appeal filed by the consultants, Mitch.
0: Yeah, and Dave, these were distilled by the court into 11 different issues. And I think maybe, just in the interest of of this podcast, maybe we should just talk through some of those issues. and and maybe
1: um, in the maybe in the interest of time, we can probably distill down maybe three key issues. How does that yeah, sound Mitch?
0: Yeah, well, and I think the first of the three issues started by looking at apportionability generally and whether or not the owner's claim against the builder was apportionable. Uh, David, do you mind just talking us through you know what the court thought about this or these issues?
1: yeah absolutely and look this was the this was the key consideration and the one that all the consultants out there have been waiting to have feedback from the from the court system on ultimately the court of appeal held that there was um that leave to appeal was not granted here The Court of Appeal held that Justice Woodward made no error determining that the breach of warranty claims that he upheld against the builder were not apportionable, as the owner's claims against the builder did not themselves arise from any failure to take reasonable care. Now, what we really need to be cognisant of here is that the implied warranties under the Domestic Building Contracts Act uh, in Victoria require that the builders take reasonable care. And obviously, in this instance, given that uh, VCAT found that reasonable care had been taken by L.U. Simons, what that ultimately finds is that there's no negligence argument. So therefore, that ground of appeal was thrown out.
0: There was also a a really strange suggestion that the builder, being L.U. Simons, was required to pick up that combustible cladding had been specified by the architect. And then go about ensuring that a compliant and non-combustible alternative was installed. Dave, do you mind talking us through what the court thought about this particular issue?
1: Yeah, really interesting one here. It's, and not surprisingly, frankly, the court held that any references to ACPs in the the specification and drawings prepared by the architect did not require um, Elie Simon to ensure that the material selected complied with the Building Code of Australia. This remained, and rightfully so, the architect's responsibility under its consultancy agreement. And again, this harks back to the findings that there was no no breach of the implied warranties under the Building um, Building Contracts Act here in Victoria.
0: Yeah, it almost seems as if the the, the architect is trying to say that it, it it specified but didn't specify a particular product, which which just wouldn't lead to a logical result. Correct. So another issue that was raised was in respect of the architect's duty to inspect samples of the combustible cladding, Um, and and they seem to suggest that their obligation only extended to inspecting the samples visually. What, What do you make of the court's findings in respect of that particular issue?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Another really interesting ground of appeal, unsurprisingly, again, leave to appeal was not granted. The Court of Appeal held that it made no commercial sense to limit the scope of the architect's requirement to inspect samples as being limited to a visual inspection only, rather than approving based on regulatory compliance, which, frankly, makes perfect sense. And accordingly, uh, Justice Woodward uh, was held not to have erred uh, in the construction of the architect's obligations in respect of the approval of the samples. Now, now further to this, the Court of Appeal concluded that even if VCAT had misconstrued um, the obligation, this would not impact the conclusion that the architect's approach to the sample approval was in fact in breach of its broader obligation as the head design consultant. And I might just add another thing to Mitch, is that There's plenty of resources out there and there have been for a while now, but in particular, you know, one that I would draw um, our listeners' attention to, for example, is the Material Library of Cladding Materials at the University of Queensland. It's incredibly comprehensive. It's an amazing resource and, frankly, you know, my understanding was it it was around um, at this particular time. So, again, unsurprisingly, um, leave to appeal was not granted.
0: So uh, and the the other issue or another issue that was considered was whether or not the owner and the owners corporation had substantiated its losses in respect of increased insurance premiums that were suffered as a result of uh having the combustible cladding on the building between the period of you know after the fire and before the rectification work was carried out. What what did you make of the court's findings in respect of of, of that issue?
1: Yeah Um, Interesting one again, Mitch. Um, They all seem to be interesting according to me, don't they? Um, What we can't forget here and overlook is that VCAT is not bound by the rules of evidence and the relevant document that was relied upon here had been tendered without objection. So the Court of Appeal held, and again, unsurprisingly, that evidence of an insurance broker which was contained in an email attached to a witness statement stating that cladding at the property had accounted for approximately 80% of the increase in the insurance premium had been properly taken into account by Justice Woodward to support the owner's claim for damages.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So what did the court think about the building surveyors' attempt to rely on the peer professional defence under the Wrongs Act? I mean, it's my understanding that this defence typically has, you know, been in place to protect people like Doctors, um, you know, and other similar professionals from from negligence claims. What, what? How did the court apply this to the to the facts of lacrosse?
1: Yeah, Mitch. The court ultimately agreed with the findings again of, of VCAT uh, that the peer professional opinion defence did not apply under the Wrong's Act in, in this particular context and on this um, set of facts. Just to recap, it was held um, at the first instance that. Building surveying is a profession within the meaning of the Wrongs Act Peer Professional op- uh, Opinion Defence. It was held that there was sufficient evidence to suggest that the installation of a lucabon P cladding to type A construction was a widely accepted practice. However, and, and critically, I might add, VCAT was not persuaded that this widespread practice of installing highly flammable cladding was reasonable and, and I, I reflect on that word reasonable because it could not withstand uh, logical scrutiny and therefore the defence failed. Pretty straightforward again.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, particularly that the building surveyors, um, you know, had, had you gone to uh, ask a, a fire engineer or had they gone and made the requisite inquiries, uh, they would have very quickly found out that it wasn't a, a reasonable view to hold, um, Correct. and so there's a certain degree of and a certain obligation that that is being imposed on on professionals in those instances to to take reasonable steps.
1: Absolutely. So, Mitch, you can see from what I've just explained that. The Court of Appeal pretty well threw out the consultant's appeal. Um, There was, I should flag, however, one issue that the building surveyor raised that was successful, which was whether the building surveyor's uh, failure to identify and remedy emissions in the fire engineering report was causative of any loss to the owners. Now, Mitch, you've done a good job of combing through this um, very long decision. What did you make of that particular finding and, and any implications that we should note?
0: Yeah, look, it was pretty interesting, um, this issue that was raised, and, and ultimately it came down to a bit of a factual analysis uh, that, that the court took. Um, what was suggested was that the building surveyor, when it was reviewing the fire engineering report that was prepared by the fire engineer, that the building surveyor should have identified the fact that the building surveyor had noted the wrong material was going to be installed on the facade. So the building surveyor, the fire engineer rather, had noted that the the, the external wall would be precast concrete, whereas it was actually going to be combustible cladding material. So it was was reasoned and, and VCAT said that the failure of the building surveyor to bring that to the attention of the fire engineer caused loss. And, and ultimately, by going back through the, the facts of, of, of this particular case, the court was provided enough evidence to suggest that the fire engineer already knew that the combustible cladding was going to be installed on the building. And so therefore, there wasn't really any loss associated with this failure of the building surveyor to identify that the wrong product had been installed. So it really, ha- you know, it wasn't, a massive legal uh, take back from the tribunal's decision. It was rather just a bit of a tidying up of, of the facts. So not really a massive impact to the to the overall outcome.
1: Thanks, Mitch. It's interesting.
0: So I guess, you know, looking at this thing holistically, the Court of Appeal has really strongly affirmed the decision of Judge Woodward in VCAT. So, so, Dave, I'm just curious here, what are your immediate thoughts about the decision?
1: Yeah, I, look, I don't think many of us in in um, legal practice were overly surprised by the outcome of this decision. It's it's, it's frankly it's what we anticipated and expected. So I, I think the Victorian Court of Appeal has got it right. Interestingly, it will be to see whether uh, special leave is sought and whether this finds its way up to the High Court. So uh, watch watch that particular space because a lot still does ride on this. So. Um, Be very interesting to see what the High Court would have to say if, in fact, it gets there. Taking a step back from that, I think in the first instance, builders may well be buoyed by the fact that L.U. Simon emerged relatively unscathed after this appeal. However, for those of us who have practiced long enough in construction law, you know that each case ultimately turns on its facts, and we really need to emphasize that, that. including the specific obligations imposed on each of the parties under the contract, the circumstances in which the design and construction of the project is undertaken, and, of course, um, but not limited to the involvement of the builder in the selection and specification of the cladding material and its compliance with um, that particular specification. Yeah, and, and even the, just the time of when this took place, so, that you know,
0: obviously the relevant work that, we're discussing um, in, in this particular case that all of the work was done in 2007 to 2010. So obviously, in light of the the, the Lacrosse fire and in light of the Grenfell fire in the UK, you know, we're probably going to have a different result if, if the case was considering, you know,
1: facts in a different time. That's right Mitch and what we should be cognisant of the fact is that on the 1st of February of this year the Victorian government actually introduced a ban on the use of high risk cladding products in type A and type B buildings. So effectively what what that seeks to do is just now it provides clarity around the fact that certain building materials including ACPs just simply can't be used where there used to be discretion allowed by building surveyors with regards to the use of these types of products, now simply they're banned. End of story.
0: Yeah, and that was actually something that in the Lacrosse Appeal the, the court dealt with that it didn't need to, and, and that was it, it went and, and affirmed Judge Woodward's position that the use of a lucabond uh, cladding or, or of the ACP cladding in the lacrosse Tower was not compliant with the BCA. And there had been some uncertainty in the industry about whether or not it was compliant. But, you know, the court here just wants to strongly stamp out any possible arguments that might be uh, put to, uh, you know, in, in an appeal or in back in VCAT. It, it strongly want, wanted to affirm that position that, no, this type of material is not compliant with the BCA and was not compliant with the BCA. Uh, back when this was taking place, back in two thousand and seven.
1: Absolutely, and just finally, it, it would be remiss of us not to touch on the fact or the implications this this um, appeal um, has on the Victorian government's cladding rectification program CSV. So again, what watch this space.
0: Well, thanks everyone for listening. That's all we have for now. Thank you very much for joining us,
1: Dave. Thanks very much, Mitch.
0: This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about
1: your specific circumstances.